This interview with Financial Sense in the U.S. was given on Wednesday, 12th of January, 2022, at 3 p.m. GMT. FS Insider, a premium edition of the Financial Sense News Hour. Today's host is Senior Editor Chris Sheridan. Christian Takushi is a macroeconomic and geopolitical strategist located in Switzerland. Today, he joins us out of the UK, where Prime Minister Boris Johnson is currently facing heat and calls to resign for attending a garden party during the 2020 COVID lockdowns. Christian, I don't know about you, but it doesn't look good when politicians are forcing the public and businesses to lock down, in some cases pleading to avoid public gatherings, but then go and do the opposite. This isn't new. We've seen this. Uh, Governor Gavin Newsom in California did the same. Uh, I believe it was during the same time period in 2020. And I'm sure there's been many other politicians that have been caught not following the rules. But uh, Boris Johnson seems to be the center of attention, at least right now here in the UK, for breaching his own rules. It's understandable that uh, people and media are upset. As you said, you know, last year was pretty tough here in the UK. Lockdown was severe. I also would like to add Prime Minister Boris Johnson didn't make himself a favor by the way he communicated. I think he should have come um, across with a clear apology from the beginning. He's done it today. So I think this is a very good thing that he's doing, apologizing. It's a straightforward apology. Uh, This should have not taken place. But I personally think that he will not be a resignation. He will not have to step down unless unless something new, you know, uh, is being revealed. But based on all the information that I see on the table, this is not good. But Prime Minister Boris Johnson should be able to recover from this swiftly, I believe. And I also think that um, the people, the public, will 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 actually give him some grace. You know, there's two distinct messages here that are given when these events happen. A politician that is caught not following the rules that they're forcing upon the rest of the public. The first is that politicians see themselves as exempt or that they don't need to follow the rules and everyone else has to. The second is that perhaps they actually don't take these things as seriously as their messaging to the public. And both of those are pretty destructive, I would say. You know, I mean, it really engenders mistrust on the public's part about what political leaders are messaging to them. Uh, if they're not following this. And again, you know, Boris Johnson is just the latest, but there's been a number of different politicians that have been caught, even health officials, you know, not wearing their masks in certain places. And so it's this idea that the public needs to comply. And in some cases, we'll crack down very hard on the public if uh, if they're not complying, but we're exempt. So it's, it's just not a good situation And we've seen it over and over. Another reason why Boris Johnson is facing heat, this is something that's not just taking place in the UK, as you know, but this is global-wide. Gas prices in the UK are up five-fold from last year. I'm sure you're experiencing that right now as you're going to uh, fill up your tank. And the cost of living has just been skyrocketing. The latest headline out is uh, one of the major leaders of a gas giant in the UK saying that he's expecting gas prices to remain at the current levels for up to two years. So it doesn't sound like the problem of getting uh, fuel, gas, natural gas in particular, uh, electricity prices spiking, 
if if that's true, it doesn't sound like this is going to be going away anytime soon. No, it's not. And actually, it's not just in the UK. In every country in Europe, even North America, it's slightly different. But there is something wrong, structurally weak, with our infrastructure, with the energy facilities, with the companies. They have not been investing. And frankly speaking, you cannot even blame them because banks wouldn't even lend them money the markets wouldn't even lend them money because the market said oh you're not green you get zero you get no money so everybody wants to be green uh, nobody wants to lend them money and even if they would get money it wouldn't make sense for them it would be much more uh, logical for them to borrow money to buy back their shares rather than investing in capacity and maintenance so all over the world we have important facilities port facilities logistics facilities, energy facilities, they have not been properly maintained and reinvested in for at least 12, 13 years. And this is the result of our monetary policies. We have talked about this last year, um, Chris. I really say, and I repeat myself, this is the result of our central bank policies of the last 12, 13 years. And this is not COVID. COVID is just a trigger. COVID is just lifting off the lid and letting us see what it does. So any other disruption would have done this. Any and COVID has done it. COVID is a trigger this year. Um, and it's showing us how dilapidated and underinvested our energy facilities are. And it's not just the energy facilities. Look at the food supply chain. Look at the silos for food and grains. They're antiquated. They cannot cope. And a lot of the stuff, the grain, that are in the national reserves in many countries, even populous countries like India, they're rotting away because it, did, it wasn't worthwhile to invest in that. Uh, people, companies all over the world were just buying back shares or borrowing money cheaply to buy back competitors. That's how they made money. And um, the central banks have actually a, a huge part of the responsibility for this. Um, I understand the governments are blaming COVID but this is a diversion. The real culprits for this is central banks. So basically what you're saying is central banks and monetary policies globally have enabled companies to really focus on financial engineering, buying back their stock and not using their profits for investing towards future production and a lot of the issues that we're facing now. So a focus on perhaps speculation versus thinking long-term. Not enabling that, they've been punishing those that would try to invest in real uh, structural, you know, investment fixed assets. So they've been punishing those who try to do that. And to make things worse, governments have introduced very tough ESG norms, you know, be it social, environmental. Uh, you cannot invest in anything that is old fashioned energy. Otherwise, you're out. You are really out. So these companies have not been able to get money, raise money, and invest in those areas. They actually had to show to exist that they were reducing their investments in those areas and were investing more and more in some future futuristic promising technologies, right? They are surely not ready yet. So we have here a combination of, of dramatic misjudgment and lack of foresight, lack of strategic foresight by governments and by the financial industry as a whole. They all went for ESG and for climate change and improving the world. A wonderful idea, but 
they didn't look at the reality of it, how many years we need for those technologies to be ready. Oh, wait a second, so we cannot switch off the nuclear power plants yet or the coal power plants yet. Actually, some countries in Europe now, they're looking at the feasibility of putting back their nuclear power plants on the grid. That's the reality of it. They just went ahead without thinking too much. Very tragic and sad. Ultimately, the public is paying the bill. Yes, very true. And uh, you've been talking about policy-induced crisis here when we talk about the dramatic and very swift shift towards renewable energy in Europe. Uh, We definitely saw that take place late last year with energy costs rising uh, fivefold in some cases with gas prices, I believe sevenfold uh, with electricity prices in certain areas and now cost of living. Inflation is becoming a major concern But, of course, the Federal Reserve now recognizes this, saying that we need to retire the word transitory from uh, the inflation outlook, lining up with this being a persistent threat. And they're going to be reversing course with now an expected three to four rate hikes this year and uh, possibly another two or three in 2023. So it sounds like the Fed is now trying to fix their mistakes that they were making What do you think of what this means for the markets and the global economy? I think the markets are in for a big moment of reckoning. I don't even think the markets are reading this correctly, honestly speaking. Um, I don't believe the market, the investors as a general consensus to really understanding what we're dealing with. I hear and I meet lots of investors, big institutional investors and big private investors telling me that, oh, that... um, they're now bracing for the Fed raising interest rates four times in 2022. And I say, okay, good. But they feel that in the short term, and I say, what have you changed? Well, not much in the short term. We are, we're, we're fully invested. We're, we're running the, the waves, right? And, and they think that the Fed is now serious about fighting inflation, that the Fed has had kind of a, a many, not all, but many feel that the Fed has changed its mind. And it couldn't be further from the truth. The, change, the Fed hasn't changed anything. I don't believe the Fed has any remorse about creating inflation. I don't believe the Fed is serious about increasing interest rates. The Fed is doing this only because President Biden gave Mr. Powell the opportunity to stay in his job under one condition, to fight inflation and to stop the momentum of Republicans on the ballot boxes. Republicans are winning the big local elections and are on track to win big time at the midterm elections in November 2022. And American voters, even independents, are furious about increasing prices, gas prices and food prices and other prices. So inflation is a common denominator among many of the people that are now switching to vote Republican. And President Biden has seen that, I mean, many Democrat leaders are in a state of, I would say, panic, if I, you know, maybe it sounds a little bit dramatic, but I think it's not far away from that. And inflation is one of the things they can address. And I am, I am absolutely convinced that that is the, the predicament in the White House, and that is the one condition that got Mr. Powell his job, because he didn't do a great job. Despite of that, he was re-elected or reassigned or renominated. And I believe that he got that by, by accepting the mandate to fight inflation over the next couple of months. And this is where the markets are wrong. 
we shouldn't be expecting three to four rate hikes during 2022. We should expect three to four rate hikes within the next six months. Because as we pass July this year, the Fed is not going to be able to really tweak too much on interest rates. The Fed would be mixed, would be inter interfering with politics, right? And it can't do that. So, and anyway, it's too late for people to make up their mind in the last moment, especially when the Republicans are already enjoying such a momentum. The time to take action is the next six to seven months, uh, the, the longest seven months. So, whatever the Fed has to do this year is going to have to do it in the next six months. And I don't think that many investors are ready or brace already for four rate hikes in the next six months. That means at least one of those uh, moves will come outside of the normal, outside of the normal agenda of the board meetings, outside of schedule, off schedule. And when was the last time we had off schedule moves? Well, that's quite significant. So the likelihood is that we're going to have some shocks. And it actually serves the Fed. The Fed would like to talk a lot. And this is obviously Mrs. Yellen's advice. Talk a lot and shock the markets. That way you don't have to do so much. That means also more volatility and maybe some surprising shock by the Fed to, to move the markets in the first half of this year. And therefore, they don't have to do so much. And if they can allow interest rates to hike very sharply in the first half of this year, and later subsequently let interest rates fall before the elections, they will actually cure, you know, cure many of the traders that would like to bet on higher interest rates in the future from doing that. So they would actually make sure that interest, interest rates don't rise. What I'm trying to say is I don't believe the Fed has, has had any change of heart. The Fed still wants to print money and still wants to create inflation. And the Fed still needs to have interest rates as low as possible that means negative interest rates, negative real interest rates, sorry. That's the goal of the Fed. So what the Fed is doing now is just deviating from its strategy for domestic politics sake. And that's normal. I mean, every central bank from time to time is on the short leash. So what you're saying is that the Fed has been politicized in this case, or is at least going to be facing quite a bit of political pressure from the Biden administration to get aggressive on raising rates and cramping down on inflation, and that perhaps the market is not taking that properly into account when it comes to what we should expect. Because again, as you said, you know, market expects the Fed to reverse course anytime we see a significant amount of pain in the markets, right? If we start to see stocks crash, then the belief is, well, the Fed will reverse course and then they'll say, oh, okay, we're, we're going to back off on rate hikes or maybe not allow our balance sheet to run off as quickly as we expected. But what you're saying is that's probably not going to happen this time around, or at least there's going to be a higher pressure point in the markets before the Fed makes any turnaround because of this political pressure. Did I get that correct? Yeah, we will have two Feds this year let's say, uh, grosso modo, first half Fed is going to try to hit hard at inflation. And this is going to mislead a lot of people because in the second half, we're going to see a Fed is going back to overstimulating. Um, and the reason why they're going to fight inflation very hard, much harder than what people think, and I see 10-year in, uh, interest rates going above 2 
and a half, about three percent, about three and a half percent. The Fed has to shock markets in the first half in order to be able to go back to stimulating and maybe overstimulating as we approach the end of the year. That is, of course, assuming that the Democrats are able to retain the House and the Senate, right? Uh, I believe that if the Republicans succeed in taking the House and the Senate, which is what I expect at the moment, is my current stage my expectation, um, the Fed will feel a lot of leeway to really go back to stimulating hard. They will go back to stimulating a lot more. And already within a few months, uh, in the first quarter 2023, we already will be seeing the Fed going back to stimulating. Uh, Christian, let me see if I got that correctly. You said that your belief is that the Republicans will retake the House and the Senate? Yes. Americans are angry. And um, when the people are angry, chances are that the incumbent has a difficult time. The Democrats are the party of the incumbent president. So I think that voters are going to give a hard time to Democrats come November. And of course, I believe that I believe that the Fed is going to do something very drastic in the course of the next seven months, six to seven months. I believe so. But I don't think it's going to be enough. I think it's going to come a bit too late because this political animal is already running. Okay, so when it comes to your macro outlook for the global markets and economy for 2022, it sounds like you're looking at things being a bit volatile and rough, particularly for this first half of the year. And like you said, we uh, we should anticipate that the Fed is going to be doing something dramatic, that they're not going to reverse course quickly like they have in the past in the face of a market correction, but that they're going to stick to their guns and a large part of that, again, is because of the political pressure that's going to be coming from the Biden administration, not to mention the fact that, again, this is a global problem. And the Fed, the U.S. Federal Reserve, is essentially the de facto global central bank, right? I mean, the monetary policy that it sets, whether or not that's at zero interest rates, as we've seen for over a decade now, or even just printing money uh, through quantitative easing, that this is uh, putting liquidity into the global markets, right, as the uh, U.S. dollar being the world's reserve currency. So there's not just political pressure from the domestic side of things, but internationally, we're also seeing inflationary pressures pick up dramatically. And so the Fed, they have quite a bit of pressure upon them to do something. And you don't think that they're just going to blink at the next market correction. No, I think in the first half of 2022, the Fed is going to have to sacrifice equity investors, risk asset investors in general, financial markets, in order to, to try to rein on inflation, to keep inflation from galloping further from, from here. Whether that's going to be enough to break the back of inflation, I don't know. I doubt it will. But I also don't think that the economy is as strong as people think. The economy... It's not a very strong. I think one risk we're going to have in 2022 as we reach the, the third, fourth quarter is we're going to see signs of stagflation, a weakening economy with still inflation running high, which will be probably an excuse for some central banks in the industrialized world to go back to stimulating before this year is finished. We're going to see in this year, 2022, the first clear signs of high inflation and recessionary deflationary pressures popping up. Some parts of the economy 
are going to start looking weak, like tipping into deflation, in, I mean implosion of balance sheets, while other parts of the economy in the area of gas and food, etc., are still seeing very high inflation. And I believe that the tip was going to be between 7 and 10% annual inflation. After that, it will begin to recede and slow down, but it's going to take probably two to three years. Um, yes, in the short term, central bank is probably going to, to shock a lot of investors. They will have to sacrifice Wall Street in order to appease Main Street. But as we go to reach the end of this year, I think we're going to be seeing that not much has happened. Central banks uh, are under political pressure, but they still have to stick to their old strategy that is printing money, stimulating, and uh, actually creating real, so negative real interest rates so that they can keep up the, the huge debt, right? Otherwise, they will go bankrupt. Look, I, will, I tell people that believe the central banks will, will raise interest rates. I think no macroeconomist will believe that, that the Fed really wants to welcome higher interest rates. If the Fed really welcomes higher interest rates long term, the US is bankrupt. So is France, so is Italy, so is so are most of the G7 economies. So they can't afford doing that. We have too much debt. Right. I mean, the cost of debt, in this case, interest costs, that's the, the highest rising cost that we're seeing. So if interest rates do go up too high, too fast, then that will become uh, an exceeding burden, not just for the U.S., but for many developed countries. So, uh, Christian, again, to reiterate what we've discussed today, your macro outlook for the global markets and economy for this year is for more volatility uh, for the energy crisis, which you said is a policy-induced one, primarily given the fact that we've seen you know, over a decade of zero interest rates, money printing that has incentivized companies to focus on financial engineering and speculation rather than on long-term investment. This is particularly true when we look at the energy sector and the mining sector, where we have seen uh, a huge lack of investment for future production. Uh, in some cases, this is also due to the large ESG movement and the lack of investment capital going to those companies, of course. So the energy crisis is not over. Perhaps we're still in the beginning stages of that, as other people have said. So we should expect inflation to be remaining for quite some time or on the persistent side, which is uh, a call that we've been making now ever since 2020. And the Fed will very likely uh, stick to its guns on the aggressive policy stance that it's it's been messaging so far for raising rates and uh, tapering, that it's not going to quickly reverse course as it has in the past because of the political capture and the political pressure that is coming from the Biden administration domestically and also given just the sheer magnitude of inflationary forces that are hitting economies around the globe, of which acting as the de facto central bank for the world, uh, the Fed has a major amount of responsibility. So there's pressure domestically and internationally. So we should expect perhaps some type of shock in the first half of this year. Um, I believe that would generally summarize some of the points that we made. Would you like to add anything to that or does that about sum it up? No, I think this is a very good summary. Um, if anything I could add is maybe um, the, the fact that our Western 
industrialized economies are structurally weak. Uh, they have been weakened by this ongoing um, uh, monetary policy of our central banks. And, um, and I think that we have to understand that although we have inflationary pressures, we also have um, deflationary pressures, structural deflationary pressures out there because our economies could very quickly go into a stagnation should the stimuli and uh, you know the stimulus of government and central banks disappear this is the reality and what leads me to the last point in the absence of those stimuli governments will try to become bigger they will try to overregulate in order to force uh, households corporate households private houses to to invest right so i believe that we'll going into a season in 2023 where governments will take over or seize larger parts of the real economy through regulation and they will force people and and companies to invest or consume that's how they're going to try to also i think keep the economy growing and interestingly enough another um, analyst that we speak with out of switzerland where you are located is felix suloff and he has said that the reason central banks and governments around the globe are going to continue printing money, uh, not just for months, but for years to come, is because we are dealing with a major monumental shift, something that we probably haven't seen before in history, where the old now outnumber the young. We're seeing a major demographic decline. That means that population growth is not able to sustain domestic growth. To the level that it has in the past and so um, political leaders are facing this problem and we're seeing that with people retiring in droves right now right the great resignation one of the major reasons that people just saying hey i don't want to work anymore i'd rather retire and this is largely a symptom of this demographic decline that we see so in which case if your domestic economy is weakening or it's not able to support itself uh, because population growth is declining, people are retiring in mass, as we see uh, underway today. Central banks are forced to print money. Governments are forced to keep interest rates low as well. And these are things that you've all been discussing at your website, geopoliticalresearch.com, where you put all of these things together extremely well. So with that said, would you mind telling our listeners a little bit more about your your framework, how you approach the markets, and the best way that they can follow more of your work. People can find our research, uh, part of our research, um, geopoliticalresearch.com. Um, part of our research is publicly available. Of course, um, all our new research goes first to our newsletter, to our clients and uh, newsletter subscribers, but people can subscribe to our newsletter there. We actually are following all geopolitical and politically induced phenomena and trends that could be relevant for financial markets and also for policymakers. But we only issue reports when our analysis significantly deviates from consensus. So we're not talking, we're not writing when our analysis doesn't deviate strongly or when we haven't changed our mind. So this is actually quite different from other uh, services. We look at what consensus is basically underestimating. And if that 
could be relevant for financial investors, for financial markets. And um, we see a delta to what consensus is, is uh, expecting, we will issue a report. But unless that's not given, we stay very quiet. And a good case in point of that is uh, was in March of 2020. You had issued a report and a message saying that the consensus had turned too negative on the outlook after the COVID crash and that you were now turning incrementally positive and seeing signs of improvement. That was, I think, within days of the markets bottoming. That was lucky. <laughs> <laughs> well, the timing may have been lucky, but your outlook was obviously correct. And of course, you know, when consensus catches up with your outlook, uh, if you are outside the consensus and we see a dramatic shift in public perception to catch up with your view, it's worth noting. And uh, I appreciate the great work that you've been providing. Um, you know, I want to point out that uh, geopoliticalresearch.com is the main website where you produce all your work. So all, all of you out there can follow uh, Christian there. You can also follow him on YouTube and uh, on social media as well. So Christian, it was a pleasure speaking with you on our show and getting an update on your outlook. We definitely look forward to speaking with you in the future. If you have any questions or feedback on what we discussed today, or if you'd like to get in touch with us about our asset management or financial planning services, you can do so by going to financialsense.com and clicking where it says contact us. As always, don't forget to spread the word about FS Insider with your friends and family and share our podcast on all of your social media channels. For FS Insider, I'm Chris Sheridan. Thanks for listening.